Psalms 42 and 43, you might want to turn me down a little bit. Thanks. In Psalm 42 and 43, we see the start of book two of the Psalms. The Psalms divided into several books, and this is the second book. There are two of seven Psalms written by the sons of Korah. They were Levites who were appointed to serve as worship leaders in the performance of temple music in the temple in Jerusalem. Many commentators believe that these two uh, Psalms were actually meant to be taken together because of the absence of a title for the 43rd Psalm, if you look at it, and also for the repeated phrase that you find in, all, in both these psalms. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. That phrase, in fact, divides those 16 verses of those two psalms into three sections. And they're both tied together by a common theme of lament. Dennis talked about that. Camper has talked about it, that one of the common themes of the book of Psalms is lament. And I believe, even long before, Long before I knew what Dennis was preaching on last week, and before I was asked to switch Sundays, the Lord prompted me to, to, to preach about these two psalms together. Now, I certainly could have picked a, another two psalms or another psalm to preach on, but I, I believe in the, strongly in the providence of God, and I believe that he, for some reason he had on my heart to preach these two psalms together, even though this is basically a similar subject that we talked about last week. Maybe we didn't learn it well enough last week. I know in my life that's often the case. But we're going to talk today about what the writers of the Psalms 42 and 43 have to say about the causes of spiritual depression, which we touched on last week with Dennis's sermon, and the pathway of hope that we have in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at Psalm 42 and 43. Hear the word of God. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. <clears throat> well, they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go up with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise a multitude-keeping festival. <clears throat> why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls the deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go in mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust men, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. 
Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, giver of wisdom to all who ask for it, through the work of your Spirit, enable us to understand and apply to our minds and hearts the truth of your word. Transform us that we may be more like your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, when we leave than when we came, in whose name we pray. Amen. As Dennis reminded us last week, even believers experience spiritual darkness from time to time. An emotional fog or distress so deep that the comforting presence of God seems absent. Spiritual depression is such a part of what it means to be human, if we're honest with ourselves, that it's not a question if you will experience a dark night of the soul. It's more a question of how you respond when you do. My wife Kathy and I have a close friend, a single woman, Christian woman, who seemed to have it all together. She was a highly paid nurse at a well-known hospital in the city of Philadelphia. She lived in a nice apartment, went to a good church, had friends and family nearby. She was talented. She was a musician. Most people would meet her say that she was very beautiful. But she often struggled with wrong thinking and increasingly experienced in her life dark nights of the soul. Her church, her friends and family tried to help her, but she refused their counsel and she stubbornly held on to her wrong beliefs. Dennis talked about that wrong thinking a little bit last week, how it kind of gets into our system and we begin to think wrongly. The last time we had contact with her in her 40s, she was living on the streets of Philadelphia, homeless. Almost certainly her depression was partially caused by physical problems and or chemical imbalance, almost certainly. But there is a part of, of who we are where the borderlines between the physical, the psychological, and the spiritual meet. And body and soul are so linked that it's difficult sometimes to separate what happens first. Is it our bad thinking that creates the kind of, sets up a pattern in our lives, in our brains, which I think was Donna's case in some degree, that begin to affect her physical makeup, her even her physical brain patterns, that she began to think these negative ways and in such ways that it set up a pattern in her, in her life, likes. It's just like what happens to people who are addicted to things, whether it's alcohol or pornography. It begins to set up scientist tells us, neural pathways in our brain that begin to become a, uh, the trigger that almost, so you can't even escape it unless you really, really work hard at it. Much of what she struggled with was a, uh, the result of spiritual depression brought about by her wrong thinking about God and herself. Her case is certainly extreme. But many believers face struggles with spiritual depression. I have from time to time. Even now, some of you may feel locked in the grip of a dark night of the soul. These two psalms deal with some of the causes of what Dr. Lloyd-Jones, who Dennis mentioned last week, wrote a book on spiritual depression. It's probably one of the best books that's been written on this subject, but it's a rather big one. But if you really struggle with it, I'd recommend it to you. He describes spiritual depression um, and as well as a way or hope or, or pathway out of it. So let's, let's take a look at the psalmist, though. What he says about the causes of a soul's dark night. The psalmist begins with a vivid picture. He, 
He begins with, a, with a, a picture of a heart or a deer looking for water, panting for water. He, the psalmist seeks God's presence like that deer during a time of drought or as one pursued by a hunter thirsts for a place to pause for water. His soul senses his deep need for God, but he cannot feel his presence. He gives four primary causes in this psalm for the way he feels. The first is the absence from corporate worship. The text gives us clues that the writer of this psalm was in exile from Jerusalem, probably living in northern Israel during the time Saul pursued David. That's the context, the historical context of the psalm. Because the psalmist was away from Jerusalem, hiding, he could not worship with God's people in the temple or exercise his calling as a worship leader. He understands that absence from worship can be a source of spiritual depression. At a minimum, it certainly makes any sense of spiritual distress or distance from God worse, does it not? That doesn't seem to be an issue for many of us today in this day of televised worship or even virtual church. I mean, you can get on the computer if you want and sit in your house and never leave and pick up you know, a worship service on the, on the web or on the TV. But I submit to you that that's really not worship. Not the way God calls for us to worship in his scriptures. The failure to physically worship regularly with a body of believers will cripple your growth. It will cripple my growth and will lead you or me to a sense of distance from God. It will happen. Corporate worship isn't just a nice idea. It is a means of God's grace. And we absence ourselves from it in our own spiritual risk. And the psalmist knew that. Part of what he was distressed about was the fact that he couldn't go up and worship with the people of God because he was in exile. Another source of spiritual depression for the psalmist was verbal taunts and physical attacks of unbelievers. Few of us have been physically attacked for our faith in this country, but some of us have experienced verbal attacks. Maybe during a difficult time in your life, like the psalmist, you experienced the taunt of someone asking you, Where's your God now? Have you ever experienced that? I have. Where's your God now? Kind of half-mocking and critical and judgmental, thinking, well, you know, where is God? You're a Christian. Where is God now? As if being a Christian protects us from every single thing that happens in life. It certainly does not. These piercing words make your trial even more painful. Like the psalmist, you may have asked yourself, why doesn't God answer? Why doesn't he change my situation? Certainly, we've all heard the stereotypes of many in the media and the pop culture who accuse Christians of being narrow or intolerant simply because we believe in some moral standard. In recent years, there have been best-selling books by authors like Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris, all of them attacking belief in God in general and mocking the faith of Christians in particular. Listening to those voices can certainly get us down or warp our thinking. Especially during times when God already seems distant to us or the problems that we're facing seem so insurmountable to us. A third source of spiritual depression was the psalmist's memories of better days. Now, remembering the past can have a positive effect when we reflect on God's past mercy and faithfulness to us. Certainly, that's been a great encouragement to me to know God, to see and remember God's faithfulness to me and mercy to me at times when I, when I was far from him. 
But sometimes remembering the past can make us feel worse, especially when we focus on the grief we feel over what was lost instead of the mercy of God. Like the children of Israel in the desert who forgot God's deliverance and longed for going back to the the pleasures of Egypt, even though they they had seen the miraculous power of God in so many ways in delivering them, still when times got tough and they were down, they're like all of us, we look back and sometimes we think of the things that we lost rather than the grace and mercy and faithfulness of God and the things that he's given to us. A fourth source of spiritual depression are the trials of life, and probably external circumstances that pull us down are the most common source of our spiritual struggles. Whether the trial is focused on our health, or relationships, or finances, or a host of other ills that can befall us in this life. The psalmist felt so overcome that he, he describes it as waves of water were crashing over him. Deep calls the deep at the roar of your waterfalls, at your, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Certainly, this, this list of causes is not exhaustive. The great preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his classic work on spiritual depression, lists a couple others. Temperament, sometimes our just basic temperament, leads us to be uh, people who are likely to experience depression. Physical condition, if you're, if you're sick or you're tired, you're more likely to experience spiritual depression. A down, sometimes after a great blessing, I've experienced that because sometimes when you're on a high, because God has encountered you, Satan sometimes comes in and he, he, he seeks to blunt the effect of that. And sometimes you might experience the attacks of Satan that way. Sometimes it's just simple unbelief. We just simply don't believe what God has told us in the scriptures to believe about what he's done for us. You may have struggles that aren't even on that list. Fortunately, no matter what the source of our struggles, the psalmist doesn't leave us wondering about what to do. He gives us clues about the pathway out of our soul's dark night. I'm indebted to the late Dr. James Boyce, who's the pastor, used to be the pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church, who was taken at a relatively young age from us, but who was probably a very wise uh, preacher and commentator. I'm indebted to him for his insight into these, these verses. As Dennis reminded us last week, there isn't, there's often no quick fix for spiritual depression. So I'm not going to tell you that there's a quick fix. There's not a quick fix for a lot of things that we experience in the Christian life, is there? Not if we're really honest with ourselves. We know there's no quick fix. But there certainly is hope, and certainly the psalmist doesn't deal with everything that God has provided for us to reclaim our souls. But he, for example, he doesn't deal with some things like Routine, routine things. If we do routine things routinely, that, some, that pattern sometimes helps us get out of spiritual depression. Relaxation or rest or recreation or reprioritizing the things in our life, all those things the psalmist doesn't deal with. But he do, we do find several things in these two psalms. The first and foremost critical thing that you need is something Dennis reminded of you last week, but it is so important that I'm going to remind you of it just today, because I think we need to be reminded of this so frequently, if not daily, and at least in my life, if not almost on the hour. And that is, we need to preach to our soul. We must not give in to depression, but we have to meet it head on. Dr. Lloyd-Jones put it this way. He says, the main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. 
You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to say to your soul, why are you cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope thou in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God. Who God is, what God is, and what God has done, and what he has pledged himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance who is also the health of my countenance and my God. Taken directly out of the Psalm 42 and 43. Others have called this preaching the gospel to your soul or preaching the gospel to yourself daily. That's what we often hear from this pulpit referred to as. It means facing your own sinfulness first. It means claiming God's promises of forgiveness and by faith grasping onto the truth that our only hope for a right standing before God is Christ's sacrificial death for us on the cross and the righteous life he lived on our behalf. Now don't confuse this with the false pop gospel that's very prevalent out there, especially on television, of the power of positive thinking. Dennis warned you about that last week, but again, because I believe it's one of the major heresies of the church today. I'm going to take the time to warn you of it again this morning. Pumping ourselves up in our own strength and will will not work. Believe me, if anyone um, has a reason to kind of trust in himself and has struggled with that all my life, it would, you know, it would be me. But I know that I cannot, by the strength of my will or by my natural abilities or talents or by anything that I have in myself, I know that I cannot pump myself up to the point of defeating. There's either the sin in my life or the things that, are, that Satan is trying to use to darken my life, or the world is trying to close me in on. I can't. The way out of the dark night of the soul is not in us, no matter how strong our wills may be. Some of us have stronger wills than others. But even the strongest of us don't have it in us to defeat it. The way out comes from the power of God's Spirit at work in us, when we seek the face of God and we grasp a hold of the truth of his word and we preach the gospel to ourselves and remind us every day, every, in fact, every hour if we need to, of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross and what God has promised to us in his word because of that death and resurrection. I don't know about you, but I need it. And sometimes the world and the busyness of our, my schedule and other things want to crowd out just taking the time to going through the list even of my, who I am in Christ and what my identity in him is. And once we've grasped and applied the truth of the gospel to our hearts, we have to put our hope in God. As Dr. Boyce puts it, he says, there can be no lasting hope in anything else in this sinful, failing world. There never has been, there never will be. In the midst of his struggles, the psalmist affirms his hope in God's sovereign love. He writes in verse 8, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. We hope in the promise that God works all things together to good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Romans chapter 8, one of my favorite passages in all the scriptures. It doesn't say that God promises all things to be good in our life, does it? 
it says that he promises all things will work together for good. And even some of the darkest times in my life, I can see the hand of God and his goodness and his mercy in it because I trust in that promise. I cling to that truth when all earthly hope is exhausted, when I can't see any human pathway out and I realize that I can do nothing to change the circumstances around me. I trust in the the power of his word and the promises that all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We hope in the truth that even in our soul's darkest night, as the scriptures say, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Finally, hope leads us to remember the certainty of victory. Because sometimes in the darkness, it doesn't seem like there's a victory at hand anywhere. But at the end of, this, of his refrain, the psalmist writes, For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now, feelings are a critical part of who God designed us to be. As humans created in his image. Feelings are an important part of what we do and who we are in our worship. But feelings do not change the truth of God's word. When you are not feeling a certain way that's contrary to the word of God, it doesn't change its truth. It's still the truth. God doesn't change, his, God doesn't change and his purpose for us doesn't change. Remember Paul's words in Philippians, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That he who began a good work in you, he who started by calling you to faith, he will finish the work that he started in your life. I don't know about you, but I have to cling to that promise too. Because there are days when I wonder if I'm, you know, if I'm where I'm supposed to be in my relationship with him. You know, the thing is, he started that work before you were born. We forget that. The scripture says that he set his heart on you and your salvation, both in this life and the life to come, before the foundation of the world. Now think about that a little bit. That doesn't boggle your mind. You haven't thought about it deep enough. Before the foundation of the world, when Jesus knew, that God the Father knew, and the Holy Spirit knew, they were setting their mark on you way before you were ever born. And that encourages me to know that. Ultimate victory is a certainty. And that victory is secured by the perfect work of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection on your behalf. The problem isn't our struggle with spiritual oppression. Some of the great saints of the past have struggled with dark souls, like dark nights of the soul. Martin Luther, great preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon, struggled with what he called causeless depression all of his life. William Cowper, a great hymn writer, whose hymns are in the hymn book that we, that we, also, we sometimes sing, and a friend of John Newton, a writer and author of Amazing Grace, struggled with spiritual depression all his life. The problem isn't letting... The problem isn't having spiritual oppression because we all struggle with it from time to time. The problem is letting spiritual darkness overcome you. We are not guaranteed that we'll never feel abandoned by God. The psalmist certainly did. 
We've heard several psalms already this summer where, God, where the psalmists feel abandoned at some point by God. But we are promised that God will be with us no matter how we feel. We have the assurance, again from Romans chapter 8, that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Not even a darkness that sometimes comes over you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Now, if you're an unbeliever here this morning, your sense of distance from God can only change through the gospel. You have to recognize your need for forgiveness and turn to Christ in faith. If you find yourself in that situation, you feel God is distant because you don't know him, then I'm encouraging you before you walk out of here today, talk to one of the elders, talk to one of us about what it means to know God in a personal way. It's not going to solve every problem in your life. Not like that. But all those promises about God working together for the good and his faithfulness and his being with you, they'll be your promises too. If you're a believer struggling with spiritual depression, remember that the gospel is also your hope. It just wasn't that which called you to himself. That sometimes we get so locked on the gospel. It's just that, that time when we first came to know Jesus Christ. The gospel is also your hope in your life after the day you came to know Jesus. It is the hope of your life from now until the time you meet him face to face. As Pastor Tim Keller has said, he said, we are saved by believing the gospel and then we are transformed in every part of our mind, our heart, and our life by believing the gospel more and more deeply as our life goes on. I'm going to read that to you again because I think it's important. We are saved by believing the gospel and then we are transformed in every part of our mind, our heart, and our life by believing the gospel more and more deeply as our life goes on. That's why we preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Because it helps us to, to experience and believe more and more deeply the truths of the Scripture in our hearts. Christ made a way for us out of our dark nights, our soul's dark night, through his death and resurrection. My prayer is that God gives us the grace to see it, the wisdom to believe it, and the power to live it. I don't often recommend uh, books from the pulpit, but... Um, well, actually, I do. Um, but if some of you are struggling with it, you're not going to tackle Martin Lloyd-Jones' book. This book by David Murray just came out about three or four months ago. It's a little, little, it's an easy, quick read. It's probably one of the best books I've ever read on the subject of spiritual depression. It's called Christians Get Depressed Too. And, uh, and if you're struggling with that, or if you're like all of us that from time to time struggle with that, I'd recommend that you pick it up. I've asked, uh, I asked Robin to, to, to sing the song that we're going to sing as our last song because I think as we sing it, we need to remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel as we listen, as we re sing it. Just don't sing it, hear it, to preach it to yourself as, as we sing it. All I have is Christ. So let us pray before we sing. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the truth of your word. We thank you that you have promised that nothing that a that comes into our life will overcome your love for us. And you've promised us 
that everything that happens to us will work for good because we love you and are called according to your purpose. And we claim those promises, Lord. And we ask that you would help us to rehearse the gospel in our hearts, not just here on Sunday when we worship you, not just in our times of prayer or other times of worship, but that every hour of the day that we would cling to the power of the cross of Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel that we find there, that we would see ourselves the way you see us and allow our hearts to be changed by that. For we ask in Christ's name, amen. Let us stand and sing together. All I have is Christ. Uh, the music is, I heard everyone going through your bulletin, so I'm sure you found it. <laughs> the music is on the back side of that. Uh, if you do read music, I have to point out, we're not going to do it exactly the way it's written, so don't get confused by that. We're just going to go ahead and do verse 1 and move down to the chorus, and then verse 2 and chorus, and verse 3 in chorus. <clears throat> Ah, 
Hallelujah. 